This is a Soul Fire production. Are you ready to enhance your sexual, erotic, and relational intelligence? Welcome to Higher Sex, where we take sex education to the next level. Come here to get curious about sex and cultivate acceptance, deep love, and intimacy. No topic is too hot to handle. As a psychotherapist and sexologist, Kelly playfully leads listeners through worlds of informative and actionable sex education, personal stories from her inspirational guests, and leading edge research from trusted experts. Higher sex is scandalous and explorative, leaving you wanting more. Let's keep this conversation going. Subscribe today so you don't miss out on these hot new episodes each week. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Higher Sex. Joe Flannery is back on the show, one of my best friends, fellow clinical sexologist. She is also a marriage and family therapist, and she specializes in desire discrepancy, meaning when one partner wants sex more or differently than the other person. So today we are covering why communication is essential for great sex, as well as offering different tools and strategies to open up the dialogue and to support you in improving your communication around sex. We're going to be talking about intimate communication. So intimate communication happens during sex for player intercourse. We're also going to be talking about why it's important to schedule time for emotional intimacy, physical intimacy, and just have that quality time together. So eroticism and desire has the opportunity to present itself. We're going to be talking about different types of intimacy, different types of attraction. We're also going to touch on rejection and how it is the most common emotional wound that we all sustain daily in life. So we talk about how it's destabilizing because we all have this need for belonging, but then how to handle rejection in the context of your relationship. So that's going to be really important. So stick around and listen to that. And then we're going to wrap it up with different ways that you can turn yourself on and how to better understand yourself and your sexuality which could enhance your sex life in the long run. So I hope you enjoyed today's show. We had a lot of fun doing it. Larry said I just said that, but tune in, guys. We have the one, the only Joanne Flannery back on the show today. Thank you for coming on the show <laughs> again, Joe. Oh, thanks for having me. I love it here. Well, good, because we love having you here. So today we're <laughs> going to be talking about uh, intimacy and communication for great sex, which is such an important topic because how can we really get anywhere if we're not talking about what we want and what we <laughs> That's desire? Right. So do you want to just dive right in by telling us a little bit about what some of the main theorists say to sustain desire and intimacy and eroticism within a long-term relationship. And then we can move into maintaining the intimacy and how to enhance your communication. Yes, absolutely. And so it's funny because the main theorists will use different language, but they'll talk generally about the same things. Um, and so we'll just touch on a couple of different points just so we can get some ideas about it. And so the first one is Dr. Rosemary Basson. She's our favorite. She's a Canadian. And Shut she up. talks about, that's it. And she talks about responsive versus spontaneous desire. And um, spontaneous desire is that desire that 
you know, you see someone or you smell something or you have a, a sudden thought and all of a sudden you are turned on by someone um, and you have that spontaneous sexual desire and it comes out of nowhere and it's really what people think of when they think of sexual desire. But there's this responsive sexual desire and it's really a sleeper, like something that people don't know too much about. And people who have responsive sexual desire can think that they just don't have any sexual desire at all because they don't have that spontaneous sexual desire. But what responsive sexual desire is is it comes up when someone is like feels safe and loved in a relationship or with a sexual partner they feel safe and they allow themselves to begin to have like sexual foreplay and they're checking in with their body and they start to feel aroused and then they feel this responsive sexual desire it's that same feeling of sexual desire it's that life affirming feeling of spontaneous desire but it's responsive and so that's one of the best kept secrets i think that we have wouldn't you mm-hmm. say Kelly I would is, totally. <laughs> is this responsive desire. So it's not a secret anymore. So tell your friends. And then there's Emily Nagowski and she talks about a dual control model for desire with accelerators and with brakes. And so a lot of times people will think of their turnoffs, what they don't like, you know, if they have a a list, a to-do list running in their head. And so you really have to think about what turns you on too and build on that. So build on the positive, build on the pleasure, and then also pay attention to breaks. And if you're working, you know, with that dual control model, um, you'll have more information and um, about what helps you feel um, sexual desire, what helps you want to have sex. And, um, and yeah, like she's, she's really awesome. She's been doing a ton of research in the field on sexual desire and um, her, her work is, is awesome. It's helping a lot of people. Yeah. She actually um, recently wrote a book called burnout with her sister and okay. she was saying that she and that book is huge and another big success and something mm-hmm. and a book that i read i've read and i recommend others read too because she even says that a lot of the breaks are associated with burnout you know to improve your sexual desire mm-hmm. we need to be focusing on our our stress response cycle and how to mitigate or heal from and recover from burnout okay yeah she does talk a lot about stress so that's cool she's kind of on to next level stuff Mm-hmm. Good for her. All right. So then we have Esther Perel, and she's so cool. She's definitely one of our idols, and she talks about sexual desire in relation to having to have like mystery in the relationships. She'll say, you don't want to have too much intimacy in a relationship. You want to have, you definitely want to have some intimacy, but not too much. That that's definitely a desire killer. There needs to be some mystery and some space in the relationship for there to be like a balance or an ebb and a flow of that sexual desire. And Kelly, what what else am I missing? I know that you had a point earlier. Yeah, just that she really um, says to leverage your erotic mind. Mm -hmm. And what can you do on your own to increase your levels of vitality and creativity and explore your own sexuality where you can then bring that into the fold within Mm -hmm. the context of a relationship? And she also says it takes a village. And so, so often we require our partner to be all things for us. And so then that can be very stifling to eroticism and desire within Mm -hmm. a relationship. So maybe instead of venting to your partner, partners after work constantly every day, maybe call a friend or a family member and put it there to change it up versus having your partner be like your best friend, your lover, Mm -hmm. your confidant, the parent of your children, your co-pilot, your therapist, all that stuff. So it's like, how can you spread the load so you can be focused more on being lovers too? 
That's it. Yeah. So that you can have like more of that time for like creative energy and to uh, like foster an erotic relationship too. Right. So she says that eroticism in the home is an act of open defiance. And so if you want to have, if you want to feel the sexual desire and feel close with your partner in that way, you know, foster eroticism too. And so, yeah, so she's really, uh, she's really a pioneer, I'd say. And then we have Marty Klein. And so one of the main things that he talks about is that we set our our sexual schemas, so our beliefs about what sex should be like for us and for our bodies around the age of 25. And then it's set. And then we kind of base our sexual experiences off of that for years and years and years, even a lifetime to come. And that's kind of silly. You know, you want to be able to work with your, your body that changes and your desires can change. And so you don't want to necessarily set your sexual schema at 25. That needs to be something that can be fluid and ever-changing. And questions too. And question, that's right. Yeah. Good point. Good point. And he also talks about mental flexibility, which uh, I talk about as erotic elasticity. And so it's having the ability to be kind of more um, open to things, maybe try new things, you know, that you feel, you know, obviously that you feel comfortable and safe, but having that ability to have that mental flexibility and not be too rigid. If you're, and this, this goes for anything in life, like if you're too rigid and you don't have a little bit of an open mind, then you're just pretty closed off to things. And so there's not much room for change there. And so he talks about mental flexibility as a positive. And so, you know, we just want to reiterate that one. So I think I said a little bit about everybody. Did I miss anything, Kelly? David Schnarch. Do we touch on him? Oh, Snarch. Yeah, that's right. Can't miss that guy. Can't miss that guy. So Snarch is another favorite. He touches on some things similar to Esther Perel. So he'll talk about differentiation. So how in a relationship, in order for sex and desire to kind of, you know, ebb and flow in a healthy way, there needs to be intimacy in a relationship and autonomy. And so you want to have intimacy, you want to have togetherness, you want to be vulnerable and share experiences together in time, but you also want to have autonomy. So each person in the relationship is going to have their own interests, their own hobbies, their own friends. So you really are like finding a balance there between yourself and the relationship. And somewhere in the middle of that independence and intimacy is going to be that sweet spot. And so that's where you're going to function best from is like finding that balance where you can be in love and together and and feel that sexual desire and attraction for your partner and then also feel fulfilled and and self-confident on your own. You know, one of the examples given that I think you shared with me probably um, (laughs) one of our slumber parties uh, is that so if you are really grounded in that sense of self too, then it's more of a choice of when you allow your partner to influence you. And that's a mm-hmm. conscious decision. One example you gave was how, you know, if your partner's slamming around in the kitchen and trying to do like a body scan, like, how am I feeling? Am I feeling pretty grounded? Then maybe probably like, oh, what's going on? Is something going on? Or if you're like, I'm pretty feeling activated, I'm not going to bite. And maybe where this could potentially escalate and blow up. Mm-hmm. So it's really trying to differentiate yourself to make choices of when to be more closer and intimate and lean on each each other, but also when to keep that space there to protect the relationship as well. That's right. Yeah. So the idea is that you do want to be there to be able to support your partner, but you also don't want to be there in a way when you're not feeling great and, you know, have the experience become worse because you're triggered too, or you're kind of brought down too. So yeah, thank you. Good point. 
Okay. So now that we know a lot about what the theorists have to share and offer and shed some light on how to keep eroticism and desire alive in your relationship, I think it's important that we move into why communication is essential for great sex. Because ultimately communication gives us the opportunity to talk about any of the following, what we enjoy, don't enjoy sexually, how we do, don't want to experience orgasm or orgasmic energy, what our boundaries are. So for example, at any stage of your relationship, you could be like, I don't want anal right now, but maybe that might change down the road. And so how are you going to renegotiate those boundaries and what you're comfortable with? I also think communication is important because if you can look at your sex life and really ask yourself, what do you want from the sexual experience or what type of sex is worth wanting and how can you communicate that to your partner or partners? Because otherwise you'll be misaligned and you'll feel maybe there's a lack of sexual chemistry. But if you're able to communicate and navigate and hint at what kind of experience you're after, how you want to feel during sex, what type of sex you want to be having, then you're more likely to have better sex than if you just go at it, no talking, not talking about what each of you want out of it. And if you both are wanting the same thing, that's great. You can navigate that and create and cultivate that experience together. But if you also want different things, then maybe you can take turns. Maybe you can do your partner's flavor one time and you can do your flavor another time. But how can you really talk about that together? so you can have a more fulfilling sexual encounter. Do you want to be pursued and feel desired or do you want to do the initiating? And then also sharing some of your fears and concerns around sex, what kind of foreplay you're interested in. So instead of being expecting your partner to be a mind reader, trying to express that so you can start to really take an active role in creating the scene and setting the plot or the stage of what kind of sex you really want to have and what would be fulfilling for you. What do you think, Joe? Yeah, I think that you, made some excellent points and you know to kind of build on that you know saying what you want during sex and talking about the sex that that you want to have that would feel really pleasurable and fulfilling to you is part of showing up in the relationship you know for yourself and for your partner and and really putting your best foot forward and giving the relationship its best shot so it is important to have this communication and to share what you want and you know explore what your partner wants if you're if you're willing because it does help the relationship long term so and so what kind of shared experience do you want to create together and try and negotiate Mm -hmm. that and navigate that and talk about that and again this is checking in with yourself allowing yourself to be flexible and evolve and agile and evolve and allow your body and your wants and needs and desires to change as you do over time Mm -hmm. so it's important to talk about sex but joe i would love for you to touch on the difference between general communication about sex and sexuality and then also intimate communication so can you share what intimate communication is? Yeah. So intimate communication is talking during sex. And so, you know, sex means everything. It means foreplay. It means intercourse. And so intimate communication is just, it's talking during sex. You know, it's using your like sounds, it's using your, you know, nonverbal ways to communicate. And it's also using your voice. It's saying things that you want. It's saying things that you like. When you use intimate communication, you kind of lower your voice, right? Like you make a whisper, you make it kind of sexy because that's that's where you're at, right? That's what you're going for. Bow to um, the wow <laughs> So yeah, you don't have to try, right? But you just, you don't want to talk at full decibel or whatever like I am. You kind of want to do a whisper. You want to just get into the experience and then say what you want. You know, say, ask what your partner wants. Get the, get, just get the conversation started so that you guys can have a really pleasurable experience. And so 
intimate communication, like it should all be said in a positive, encouraging way, you know, not like, oh, stop, you know, you're terrible at this. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, okay, you don't like to the right, like not there, you know, to the right, whatever it is, like, it's just more directive than it is like what people are doing wrong. And so more of explain- what to do and not what yeah. not to do. Okay. <laughs> that's right. And while you're telling them what to do, you can tell them what feels good. So that is encouraging. That's like building on that positive experience. And then you can also explore your edges if you want, you know, if previously negotiated, you know, something new that you might want to try, like maybe a new position or a new sensation. But, you know, that's, you can also like talk about that in a more of a, a sexy way too, than rather than just like a regular communication way, I guess. Yeah. And I love, you know, if you're talking about what kind of shared experience you want to create outside of the bedroom and then checking in with each other inside of the bedroom. Mm-hmm. So how's that feeling for you? More pressure? Is, is, is this feeling good for you, especially if you're trying something new mm-hmm. and then giving some of that positive feedback or just like that feedback loop in general versus nonverbal or not moving much. And so it's like, right. is this working? Is this not working? <laughs> Ask for more of what you want, um, mm-hmm. like harder, slower, softer, Yeah. And just like really allow each other to learn what feels good. So you can do more of what feels good. So sexual communication, intimate communication, let's try to beef that up a bit. And if you really are uncomfortable with talking about sex or opening up in the bedroom, what are some other ways that you can start to give feedback? So whether that's like through maybe a little bit bit of moaning or gentle guidance with hands, but just really trying to make a commitment to show up for your relationship and really cultivate the type of sex or sexual relationship that you, you would like to have together. So just to recap, caretaking can be a desire killer, making sure that you schedule time for yourself and really feel grounded in that sense of self and figure out what kind of sexual experience you're craving and desiring. Also making sure that you're practicing stress management, healthy boundaries, so that you can show up for that responsive desire, show up and allow that responsive desire to take place. But if you're stepping into a place where you're feeling completely burnt out, just not sexy, not feeling good at all, it's less likely to respond your desire. Exercising together, picking a great way to get your endorphins going, setting a regular bedtime routine together. I mean, if you have children, getting them settled, obviously. But then if you have a time where you can spend together putting all the toys away and kind of putting it out of your mind and spending some time really nurturing your relationship and also just doing something together regularly. And remember, as Sarah Prowse said, it takes a village. So leveraging all the supports that you can. And then what are some ways that you can cultivate a sacred space for yourself? So where the magic happens, wherever that is for you. So making sure that you do pre-sex slowdown rituals, whether that's having a bath, a shower, reading erotica, dancing together in the kitchen, just cuddling, having a drink together, whatever that is. Making sure that you are honoring your temple, meaning your body, and that you're nourishing your body with whatever feels good for you, whatever makes you feel good and sexy and desirable and that you want to explore and express your sexuality. Eye contact can also be very erotic. So I would encourage you to pay attention to how much eye contact you're making outside of the bedroom as well as inside of the bedroom and trying to beef that up a little bit and trying to go a little bit slower and holding eye gazes and really try to just focus on taking more time to get to know your body as well as each other's bodies can really support you in taking your sex life to a whole new level. 
Yes. And Anything else you think would help? <laughs> well, we always talk about how in our lives we schedule time to hang out with friends. I mean, maybe not right now, but you know, soon we schedule time to go to the gym, like whatever it is, we're scheduling this stuff into our lives. Our lives are just chock full of stuff. And then we think that sex is just going to happen spontaneously with our partners. And that's not the case once the relationship is more established and that spontaneous desire isn't showing up for both people as much. And so it's really helpful to schedule time for sex. It shows your partner that it's a priority to you. You get to make it work for you. So you get to pick the time of day that works for you. You know, you get to prepare, I guess, like make sure that, you know, like uh, Kelly was talking about setting the scene, like make sure wherever you're going to have sex is set up. So it's, it's, um, you know, can conducive to you guys, like really getting it on, feeling good, like no distractions. And so scheduling time for sex can really, really be helpful. Another thing to do aside from just to schedule time for sex and intimacy is to schedule time to really build on that intimacy and to spend time together that's in a fun and pleasurable and enjoyable way, not as not in a way that's like taking care of household chores or doing something that is, you know, to check something off the list. This is time, this is like date night stuff where you're going for a walk, like uh, really to, to kind of de-stress or whatever, you know, you invest in spending that time together, then you can invest in, in having, you know, scheduling time for sex. And so it doesn't sound hot and sexy, but how hot and sexy is like not really having sex at all because you don't have the intimacy that kind of leads you there and takes you there. Or the relationship is just not, you're not ever doing anything that's fun and relaxing together. You know, the relationship is just a lot more business these days. And so, you know, implementing these date nights and scheduling sex you know, or scheduling a night for a massage or a night to just like, you know, be intimate together, maybe laying naked together, something like that. That can be really, really helpful for the relationship to help the the bond of intimacy and also to know that you guys are still there sexually together um, and that you do want to have sex or you do just want to, you know, be intimate or however. But yeah, scheduling time is a good way to make sure it happens. Yeah. And give that responsive desire an opportunity Yeah, right. to present itself. And if it doesn't, like we're not suggesting that you proceed and have sex just because you scheduled it unless you want to obviously like if you just want to have a quickie or have some fun that's great but it's like carving out that time and prioritizing that physical and emotional intimacy and nourishing your erotic relationship and giving it giving it time and attention and showing each other that it's a priority for each of you because if you're missing sex or missing watching sex then you do need to start carving out some space and time to nourish it yeah. And thank you for saying not to go ahead and do it just because it's on the schedule if you don't want to. Like, of course not. And I just forgot to say it. So no, yeah. yeah always consensual. Always, always something you want to do. Something well, you want to do. Well, yeah. even it, well, and I think that's what well, goes back to what we were talking about maybe in an earlier podcast was sometimes people be like, well, I'll just do this to get my partner off my back. And so I'm even mm-hmm. talking about from it is consensual, but maybe you're still not into right. it. And so we're not suggesting doing it just to do it, but to carve out time to really nourish and cultivate and tend to your erotic relationship. Yeah, because research has shown that if you have sex just to alleviate those negative feelings or negative repercussions from not having sex, it doesn't bode well for continuing to have sex in the future because it feeds into your motivation for the next time you have sex. And if your sexual experience is not positive and it's not something that like feels good to you, you know, emotionally and or physically, the next time sex is kind of proposed to you or you think about it, it's going to be something you don't want to do. 
opposite of a good motivation. That's um, right. I think bad this motivation. Is a, <laughs> bad. You're bad. <laughs> okay. I think this is a great segue to move into rejection, right? Because especially if you are starting to prioritize time together, want to start giving this an opportunity, but maybe the desire discrepancy has gotten to a place where there's a lot of discord within the relationship. How do you talk to partners or what, what would you even say just now about how people can handle rejection when that's something that they're maybe, af- I'm afraid of rejecting my partner and like causing mm-hmm. a fight or I'm afraid of being rejected and feeling like they don't want me again. So how do you help partners navigate that piece of it? Because I think that's really big. Right. So rejection is, can you you know, it's, it's such a common part of a relationship just because like you can't say yes to everything that's offered to you. So there's going to be some rejection, but it, you know, it kind of becomes hard when it like tips the scales, you know, it's more rejection than not. Um, when it comes to sex, it could be all rejection. If, you know, if your partner is low desire or if you're low desire and you don't want to have sex, then you're rejecting your partner all the time. And it doesn't feel good. You know, it's not something you want to be doing, like having them feel rejected, right. Or feeling rejected. It's just, you know, you're just not into sex right now, which is totally valid. So let's talk about how to make rejection feel better in the relationship because it is so common. And so what rejection does is it destabilizes this need to belong. And so your intimate relationship, your intimate partnership is arguably the most important relationship that you have, right? To belong in. And so when that need to belong is destabilized, it feels really threatening. Back in the time when like the hunter and gatherer days, when people were all living in big groups, if you didn't belong to the group and you were othered, you would die if you couldn't, you know, get all your own food and do everything on your own. And so we're hardwired in our brain, you know, for evolution purposes to need to belong. So when we are rejected and in particularly by our intimate partner, like our brain is firing off like crazy that we're feeling this huge sense of rejection. So that's no good. So you know, you can help yourself feel better. Um, if you're the one that, that's being rejected with some positive self-talk, make a list of your most positive qualities. Like this is really your time to, you know, kind of dig deep about the things that you have self-confidence around. Like what are your hobbies? What are some things that make you feel good when you do them? And like, you know, you can be social, hang out with some friends that you like, or, you know, talk to them, I guess, these days or your family, like remind yourself that you are loved and appreciated. And then within the context of the relationship, when it comes to rejection, the language that we use holds a lot of power. And so when we say, no, I don't want to have sex with you, that's a huge blow, especially if sex is already kind of an issue in the relationship. It can really be like a minefield talking about sex. It can really explode quickly. And so if you talk about rejection in terms of pizza, (laughs) so it can be, you know, do you want to have pizza tonight? Meaning, do you want to have sex tonight? Uh, Do I want pizza? (laughs) Let's see. I guess we could do pizza. I just want cheese. Like tonight, I'm just a cheese girl. Like, okay, maybe that's a quickie. Like, who this knows? This isn't going like, to be like an hour marathon. I was just going to say. Yeah. Maybe you want the Supreme, like deep dish Supreme. Like, give it to me big time. <laughs> um, <laughs> but mm, in terms of the always, like, you know, they say like pizza is like sex, like never really bad because it's sex and pizza. Okay. So, but if you don't want it, then you say, you know, I just don't really feel like pizza tonight. Can we have pizza later on this week? And then there's like, then the conversation is kind of open to, okay, they said, you know, we can have 
pizza later on this week. It's not, no, I don't want to have sex with you. It's, no, I don't really feel like pizza. The language just hits different. And so that can be super useful and just really a good thing to try if rejection is an issue in the relationship, just because it does put some distance between something that's super emotional and the question. So like sex in terms of pizza, I think is really helpful. I, I couldn't agree more, especially because if it's like, well, I just don't have a taste for it right now. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, I don't have a taste for you. Maybe you're really full from yeah. by yourself all day. Who knows? <laughs> But I, but it is really coming down to where it's not a personal attack and you do need to create space where you're not always going to be ready to go on demand. But like you said, if there's already a lot of tension within the relationship, how can you consider the other person's feelings, but also not betraying yourself and, you know, giving in just to avoid conflict too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Rejection. No fun. No fun. No fun. You know, I'd love to talk more around intimacy and how yeah. people, like what the, what that means or how people can focus on intimacy and creating more intimacy within the context of their relationship. Say intimacy again. Intimacy. 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 Intimacy is that feeling of, you know, feeling kind of comfortable and close with your partner, right? So it's like letting someone in to see you. There's a certain amount of vulnerability that's necessary for intimacy. It fosters a sexual satisfying relationship. Um, it, you know, it's instrumental in satisfying sexual relationship. And when it, it helps partners feel secure in the relationship, right? So they can share their thoughts and feelings without fear of being judged or ridiculed. And that's really important, you know, to be vulnerable in a relationship. And so intimacy is just, you know, that feeling of closeness that you have that you share with your partner. Um, Like that we were saying earlier, too much intimacy is really kind of just being one with your partner. And, and that's just a little too close. You want to be two whole people that come together intimately and, and share intimacy and vulnerability. And so, so yeah, so intimacy, there are several different types of intimacy. There's emotional intimacy. So the need for communicating and sharing both positive and negative emotions. Um, there's psychological intimacy, the need to communicate and share ideas, thoughts, and beliefs. Sexual intimacy. So, you know, communicating and sharing sexual thoughts, feelings, desires, fantasies, anything of sexual nature um, in order to arouse sexual desire. There's non-sexual physical intimacy. So to touch people, to have um, interactions of simple touch, hug someone, brush up against someone, sit shoulder to shoulder, which people are not necessarily getting right now since we're, we're so isolated these days. There's spiritual intimacy. So the need to share thoughts, feelings, beliefs, and experiences that have to do with religion, the supernatural, moral values, and spiritual beliefs. There's aesthetic intimacy, so the need to feel a sense of belonging, community, connectedness, so that's really important. Recreational intimacy is the need to engage in playful and enjoyable activities and experiences. And then temporal intimacy is time spent with one's mate or partner on a daily basis in intimate activities. So you can see there's so many different types of intimacy and sexual intimacy is just one of them. And so you can build your intimacy with your partner across all these different levels or platforms or areas. And that's how a relationship really stays strong. And that, um, that sexual desire kind of, uh, you know, waxes and wanes and sex in a relationship kind of ebbs and flows. 
and it's healthy and it's normal. And this is how relationships really stay strong and continue to function is because intimacy is shared on multiple levels. You know, that being said, that that sexual intimacy, you know, it is missed when it's not there, but it's not the only intimacy that there is. And would you say that it's safe to say if you maybe have sexual intimacy is being missed, but if someone's love language is physical touch, there are other ways to start building upon that physical intimacy and maybe even by cultivating or focusing on some other aspects of intimacy that could create more of an opportunity for sexual intimacy. <laughs> say intimacy again. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> because, um, yeah, I think absolutely. And so it just goes back to talking about communication and why it's so important to have that open communication and to say like, I really want to feel close to you. I know we're not having sex or I want to have sex. I want to feel close to you. Or like, you know, I want to feel close. I know we're not having sex. Can we, can we cuddle? Can we hold hands? Like whatever it is, keep that conversation going and open. And so whatever is happening in the relationship is just like on the table to, to talk about. So, so yes, yes, I do. Well, thank you for that, Joe. Mm-hmm. Um, another element that sustains um, desire and sexual desire within the relationship is paying attention to attraction because attraction is a fluid concept that can change at any time for any number of reasons within the context of your relationship. And attraction also requires an element of distance. So in order for you to be drawn in and attracted to, there needs to be a bit of distance and it's multifaceted. So paying attention to what you're attracted to, what your partner is doing that draws you in because it's nuanced and so unique for everyone. So just practicing that mindfulness. And there are different types of attraction, just like you were talking about, Joe, with intimacy, but there's, you know, platonic attraction. I want to befriend you and build on our friendship. Romantic attraction. I want to date you and go on dates with you. Sensual attraction. I want to touch you. And sexual attraction. I, I want to bang you straight up. <laughs> bang, bang. Bang, bang. And so it's also important to recognize that, like I said, it's fluid and it can change over time for any number of reasons. So communicating that to your partner as well. So it gives them an opportunity to know what they're doing that you are really drawn to so they can do more of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Would you add anything or give an example or something, Joe? No, I just want to say, clarify, like communicate what you're attracted to in a partner, like not necessarily what what you're not attracted to, I guess. Yes. And again, it comes back to that communication, right? Where it's not in the negative connotation, it's in the positive. So moving on to turning yourself on. And so like, Mm -hmm. this is also really important because sometimes partners will come and sit down with us and be like, well, they need to, they need to, they're not doing, they're not doing, and really focusing on what's missing and what the other person is not doing or how the other person is letting them down. And of course, sometimes that needs to be the focus. But if you can start to take some accountability for your own desire, your own pleasure, your own sexuality, that's really going to bode well for your relationship in the long run. Knowing yourself and paying attention to how you can turn yourself on and even start to activate some of that responsive desire on your own. So whether that's through tantric practices and breathing exercises, meditation, baths, showers, setting the environment, setting the stage. Um, You know, we talked about earlier about kind of sexual experience. Do you want to co-create together and talking about that ahead of time? Or how can you set your environment up to one where you can really relax into and feel like you can indulge in a nice sexual experience for yourself? Or is there like clutter and crap everywhere? And, you know, setting the stage means like your physical space, but also it 
the energetic space of the of your your space as well. So if you are fighting or if there's been discord in the relationship, like what can you do to try to create good energy where you feel like you can let your defenses down? So and also how to engage with your senses. So are you a visual person? Do you pay more attention to tactile touches? Do you want to taste your partner or taste fruit or something? Um, or is it more the way you're being touched? So paying attention to what senses really gets you to feel sexual, erotic, pleasurable, all that sort of stuff. Trying to focus on being curious and exploring each other and your sexuality and going slow versus it just being goal-oriented sex. Let's get in there, get it done. Sometimes that's important and crucial, especially with mm-hmm. young family, all that sort of stuff. Right. But really making sure that it's not this one and done constantly and we know exactly the sexual script that we're doing all mm-hmm. the time because you can really mm-hmm. lose a taste for that. Try to release judgment of yourself and your partner and try to experiment a little bit. See, mm-hmm. like maybe you can explore a new room or territory together. Maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't, but hey, we're learning about what you like and what you don't like and communicating that. That's right. And so to like kind of piggyback off of that, right? Like the things that you like. So know thyself. So what are your accelerators and breaks? So you can take some time, maybe get a journal or just on your phone, whatever you want, but kind of run through some things. So start to brainstorm so that it's on your mind. Um, pay, pay attention to them over time, like if they change or when they're kind of more sensitive versus when they're not, because your sexual self changes. You can pay attention to when are you most attracted to yourself? Women want to feel desired. We want to feel desired by our partner, by our partners, and, and by ourselves. We want to feel desired. So when do you feel most attractive and when do you feel most attracted to yourself? Just knowing those things are going to be important for knowing when you might be most easily turned on, like when you're already kind of starting to like think about sexual things, when your accelerators are on and your brakes are off, like what, what time is that? You know, like when are you attracted to yourself? You can start to kind of piece this stuff together and give yourself, you know, just a better chance of having the sex life that you want, just becoming more familiar with it more proactive and, you know, giving yourself this leg up by paying attention to your accelerators and your brakes and the attraction for yourself. Yeah. I love that you're shining a spotlight on know thyself because really if you don't schedule time for yourself and getting to know yourself and being able to drop into your own experience, it's going to be going from, you know, one role responsibility to the next and sex will become more of a chore that way. So creating an opportunity to practice mindfulness and exploring your own sexuality, putting aside time for yourself, but then putting aside time for your relationship and really just trying to relax and enjoy your sexuality and spend some time getting to know it versus just expecting it to show up for you randomly. That's it. Yeah. Be curious, right? Be curious. Curious. Yeah. So curious, explorative and intentional. So Mm -hmm. yeah. So thanks so much, Joe. I think this was like a really helpful conversation and obviously I love talking with you all the time. Me too. Always. Thanks for playing, Joe. (laughs) I'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for for having me. Okay. Bye. Bye. 